Let's go ahead and um, open our Bibles to um, uh, Colossians chapter 2, and go ahead and hit the first slide from if you would. There you go, staying dead. Um, Colossians chapter 2, and I'll read verses uh, 1 through 5. Heavenly Father, truly, once again, we're, supposed, we're about to enter your word, um, truly your holy word, words from you. And, and though we're allowed to interact with the Bible and put marks in it and devour it and uh, go through it, it's very special that you wrote a book and you gave it to us. Um, what, a, what a beautiful thing. So help us to see these words today and to really see your voice and your heart and your mind for the specifics of our lives in Jesus' name. Colossians chapter 2. Uh, Verse 1, for I want you to know, this is Paul talking, how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith. Lord, we're about to dig into your word and try to break these down, and just uh, verse 2 alone is so uh, packed with richness and fullness, it's hard to take it all in. But you know the curriculum that you have individually and personally taken each person on this week. You know the journey that you have each of us on in our own different ways, a journey towards Christ-likeness. And we invite you today, Father, to stretch us and to expose the areas that you want your word to uh, germinate in. Lord, there's some stuff from this week that have, has us distracted, so we ask that you give us an hour now to remove those distractions. There's some worries about tomorrow that are hovering. We ask that you take those worries away for this hour and help us just to focus on you and be refreshed in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not supposed to tell you this is my last week and Gunner starts next week because Gunner says you come here and you get what you get. But Gunner does start again next week, so <laughs> you have a right to know that. <clears throat> um, as we've uh, chipped away at this book of Colossians, there's a couple of observations I, I want to point out. I hope it's become apparent that this is a letter, and much like a, a letter that you might write to a family member who's overseas or in the next community or maybe back when you were in college. I know people now email and such, but you know, you, you have a letter and you, you really have a theme in any given letter. You want to make a point and you fluff it up with, you know, dear grandma, how are you? I am fine. Please send money. But you know, you have a theme that you want to get across. Um, a central theme, and it's it's this, uh, Colossians is the same way. It's simply it's not a collection of of really good verses and high sounding arguments. Rather, Paul's expressing this this central idea that we've met, brought up many times, and he's showing us how we fit into that idea and how that idea fits into each of our lives. Uh, of course, Paul's central issue, the thing that affects everything, the thing that affects everything, is Christ in you, the hope of glory, or the assurance of glory. And you've heard that before from chapter 1, verse 27. It's the key to the whole book. It's what the book's about. And now uh, we've latched on to this idea that Christ in you can best be expressed in this word intimacy. 
intimacy. You might have a better word that you use in your context. Use what you want, but intimacy works for me in the English language in our culture today. That's what God's talking about. And the fact that um, the parking lot gets full and fuller every week uh, probably tells us that, um, yes, you do want intimacy. I asked you last week, I said, do you really want intimacy with God? And you came back, so I'm assuming that you probably do, or you heard that it's Donut Sunday, and that's a good reason to come too. That's fine. We'll get you out there. Um, but last week we said that if you want intimacy with God, and I gave you several steps over the last few weeks, this is not a one-fold thing, but if you want intimacy with God, it, it requires death to self. Death to self. Was that a new concept for anybody? I mean, you've heard that religious phrase, right? I've been crucified with Christ, death to self. And I express, I express this with the pithy phrase that God doesn't want you good, he wants you dead. Much higher standard. And the feedback from last week tells me that many of us have that, what I call the Romans 7 struggle. I, I, the, the debtor I try to be, the more undebtor I become. And no, those aren't real words, but you get the concept. You get the struggle. The harder I try, it seems the worse off I am. And this is a common argument. Even Paul had this problem uh, in Romans 7. One person essentially asked, and I loved it. I do like feedback. They asked, well, how do I keep myself dead? They get it. This is a person that understands what's happening. He or she understands this. They understand the struggle. So today, not because of that question, but because it's the natural flow of Paul's letter, today we're going to see a practical step in this journey of staying dead. How do you do it? He shows us that today. It's actually part of the book. And still bear with me for just another second as we jump in there, because I want to point this out, that Colossians is a lot like trigonometry. And no, I'm not a math guy. But trig was that one class where they began with one concept, a triangle, and then they showed you throughout the class how the triangle fixes all that ails you. It applies to everything. It kind of made sense to me. I, I got that part. Not like the other classes that, like, you know, they add a concept and add more, and at the end you have a, compre- a comprehensive exam so you can fail in a lot of different areas. Um, Colossians is that way, and Paul offers you one concept, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the rest of the book shows how Christ in you affects all aspects of your life. So it's no wonder that in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says, Paul wants to present every man complete in Christ, a completeness involving death to self. And then again in 2.20, he's going to say, if you have died with Christ. And then in 3.3, he's going to say, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. He just keeps giving you the same concept and builds and grows on how that affects to your life uh, where you're at now. This is really the key to success as a Christian, if you will, this concept Paul gives you, Christ in you, when you're facing many challenges. And and this week, um, we decided to watch our grandkids for a week, four and two. (laughs) It's for the young. (laughs) I agree that grandchildren cover a multitude of sins. And only grandparents are qualified to raise grandchildren. But nonetheless, it's not for us. It's for the young. Good night. How many dirty clothes can you have? It's just, I never mind. Every one of you young mommies should have a front-loading washing machine, okay? I have said it. Okay. So every aspect, and this is why I challenge you, I challenge me, I challenge Gunner to read the book through in its entirety in one sitting a couple of times during the series. 
takes about 21 minutes for most of us or less. That's if you read it out loud. Colossians will quickly become one of your go-to books in the Bible, one of your favorites. It's just an amazing book. Okay, I've said it. So how do I keep myself dead? Colossians chapter 2. And really, what we're asking is, how do I remain focused on things above and not refocus on the less than godly things which attract me hour by hour by hour? I'm very distracted by life. Think about some of those distractions. Worry. Guilt, ambition, lust, political fear, the economy, COVID, national security, water, no water, sickness, loss of stuff, kids, choices, relationships, taxes, pets. Have I missed a hundred? So a lot of things that we get distracted with. Our minds are involved in these things. And really our list, at least in my list, is really about how those things affect me and how they affect my comfort zone. I don't want to deal with those things that might happen. And then we have Paul in prison rejoicing. In prison rejoicing, apparently not worried about anything. We showcase that Paul was not selfish. Still, being selfish really amounts to nothing in a vacuum. Being unselfish while alone on a lifeboat doesn't really make a difference, does it? I'm willing to share my food with me, yeah. Unselfishness or selflessness only becomes a virtue as we interact with other people. And perhaps better terms would be self-centric versus others-centric. That's what's going on here. Are you tied up in yourself or are you tied up in others? And this is what we see with the Apostle Paul as we enter chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. Now, has anybody in here personally seen Paul's face? Okay, you're included in this. Paul's praying for you. Paul was others-centric. He was about other people, and he wanted Colossians to know this. It wasn't a boast. He wanted them to know it. Uh, The way that Paul remained dead to self was that he was immersed in the Lord Jesus Christ and he was immersed in the lives of other people. This is how Paul remained dead. Total immersion in Jesus Christ, we've already talked about in chapter 1, but he also had total immersion in the lives of other people. In fact, we have an overhead there, really a twofold principle. There you go. Double principle, both are true. The way, the way we stay dead is by immersion in the living Jesus Christ. And the way we stay dead is by immersion in the lives of others. Total immersion in Jesus, total immersion in the lives of others. I I learned this very vividly when Michelle and I uh, were deployed on a combat mission to the Middle East. Uh, We were first deployed to no man's land in Egypt. Uh, There's this area there where there's a a kind of a non-combat zone where troops are there surrounded by the forces of ISIS and the rules of engagement prevented us multinational uh, observation uh, assignment from being involved in hostile action. Very frustrating. And then we were sent over to Kuwait as a, as a launching point into the more hostile regions beyond uh, those zones. And of course, Michelle did, Michelle and I did this entire combat deployment without ever leaving Valley Center. And that, of course, was my oldest boy's first combat infantry deployment. See, Michelle and I lived that tour daily. 
we are absolutely immersed in news from the Middle East. Matthew's sporadic text messages were, 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 we wanted to see whatever he wrote. And of course, any returning warriors, I wanted to quiz them about what was going on where my son was. That was a year that we were desperately immersed in Jesus. And we were absolutely immersed in the life of my son, Matthew. He was always on our minds. Right, mother? And you get what I'm saying. You're smart people. Who can relate? Yeah, all of the kids and grandkids, you bet. Paul was absolutely immersed in the lives of those God had given him. Recall Paul's own words on the issues in Colossians 1.25. He says, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Paul was selflessly immersed in the people God had given him. So fixated was Paul that he seemed oblivious to his own harsh living conditions. His only real worry, if you will, his worry was his concern for the continuance of these believers till the end. That's what he was concerned with, not what he was eating or not eating. And so in verse 2, Paul's struggle. So Paul struggles that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Jesus Christ himself. It's like our song, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And you almost have to memorize that verse in order to understand the many full truths that are floating through there, a lot of phrases. Look at it again. Hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Paul's primary means of participation in the struggle uh, was through the weapon of prayer. Colossians 1.9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Praying, praying, praying. Paul did not see prayer as some consolation tool, as if uh, to say that, well, I can't do, I can't really do anything, so I guess I'll pray about it. It wasn't like that for Paul. No, Paul was so immersed in the living Jesus Christ that he saw his prayers as powerful tools in the accomplishment of the end game. Paul was never one to say, well, there's just nothing we can do about it. He could pray, and he expected great things to happen. And I wonder, is is this your passion for Lindsey Gray? Are you so immersed in her life and ministry that you are compelled to lift her up in prayer with regular uh, regularity? Her face goes up there once a week or so, but what's she doing now? Where's she at? Or, or do you know the present challenges faced by Alternatives Medical Clinic, which is our uh, ministry of the week? Immersed. Lots of things we could be immersed in, getting our eyes on that so our eyes are off ourselves. You get the point. So whose life so captivates you that you are focused on them and their spiritual growth over yourself? Who is that person or those people? Because that's how you stay dead, by focusing on their lives. And if you, if you can't answer that, you're going to find it difficult to stay dead to self. You're going to have to reach out and branch out and get yourself involved in other people's lives for spiritual reasons. You see, loving God entails loving others. 
the two are inextricably bound. You cannot love God while not loving others. It's not possible. And still, we are, we are not a social gospel church. We don't show kindness to others at the expense of truth. We love people because God's truth demands no less. Matthew 22, uh, they came to Jesus and said, Teacher, tell us the greatest commandment of the law. And Jesus said, well, here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And he goes, and by the way, let me give you a second one. The second one's like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, well, Jesus, we weren't asking that. Who's our neighbor? (laughs) Didn't work. You cannot love God while not loving others. It's not possible. Uh, John 15, uh, verse 12, he says the same thing. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. His words. And Paul demonstrates that love as he struggles for those in Colossae. And Paul struggles not just in prayer, but he also conveys truth to the Colossians. In fact, that's why you have this letter, because he was conveying truth to them. The truth is good for us too. He wants them to attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. But this is not a plea for that sterile sort of knowledge that that people all too often get and end up in this place of pride showing how smart they are. Rather, Paul aims for the knowledge that displays itself in unity and in enthusiasm, or as Paul says it, that their hearts may be encouraged. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. Paul knew that discouraged, downcast Christians are easy prey for the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're all against you, folks. And we need to be involved with other believers to keep us from those dark places where depression and loneliness frequently take us. Now, the fact that you live out here in Valley Center tells me there's a cross-section of you that wished you lived even farther out. I mean, the idea of being alone somewhere. But that's not good for us. It's not what God's designed for us. We're here for people, not to be in a vacuum. And this is part of the reason that I'm a cheerleader for uh, Debbie's Bible trivia taco time thing. I, I just think that's one of the greatest things you can do. At gatherings like that, people's hearts are encouraged, and we become knit together in love. That's why I value that. It's not, it's not for the trivia. Now, tent maker Paul understood the concept of knitting fabric together in, in, in such a way that brings strength and greater usefulness. And Paul caused this type of immersion in people. He calls it, he calls it unity. In fact, when we get to chapter 3, he's going to say, beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So how do we do that? Well, Gunnar, is, in fact, is going to explain that when he gets there in Colossians 3. Same concept, deeper application as we go through the book. God did a pretty good job writing this book. It flows really nicely. Again, love doesn't function in a vacuum. We need to be involved with other believers so that we can both express and receive love. you got to let people into your life. It's, it's actually a, a gift, if you will, to let people love on you when you need it. I don't like that. I'd rather go like this. But you know what? It's what I need. And deeply, I do like it, let's be honest. And again, those active relationships, immersions in the lives of others, seem to be foundational if we are going to grow into full understanding and true knowledge 
of God's mystery, which is Christ himself. Paul knew that their unity came not only um, uh, from love, but also from truth, from both being knitted together in love and growing in the understanding of the knowledge of God in truth, which is Jesus Christ. Now wait, John, are you saying that we can't have intimacy with Jesus if we don't have intimacy with other believers? Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. But wait, I'm, I'm socially awkward. I'm, I'm shy. I'm introverted. It's hard for me. Exactly. That's everybody here. Don't be so proud. In, other, in order to have full understanding and true knowledge of Jesus Christ, say it again, in order to have full understanding and true knowledge of Jesus Christ, we need to be involved in, what I like to say, small groups of Christians, groups where you can drop your mask, get rid of posturing, and be exposed to truthful love. Have to have it, folks. We stop for a second, but I, I, I want intimacy with Jesus. At what cost? Do you want this? Well, are you willing to do it, though? If you want intimacy with Jesus, which is the call of your life, folks, you're going to have to get involved with people. Love and faith are not truth's enemy. We are not to love and or believe at the cost of truth. We see this same thought in Ephesians, also written by Paul, Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. You can't read Paul without getting this. But wait, there's more. Paul adds yet another phrase in verse 2. I'll blow through it again to get there. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. For Paul, real riches were found in a believer's full assurance. Full assurance. And many lack full assurance about the character of God and are unconvinced that he is really good and loving. And others lack full assurance in their salvation and wonder if, if Christ is maybe going to give up on them. Is, is, is my Christianity for real? Great freedom and confidence come when we come to this place of full assurance. When you have full assurance, you can step out and do things. You know that daddy is always there. This is full assurance of understanding. Full assurance of understanding. If you lack full assurance, there's probably a lack of understanding at the center of your lack of full assurance. You're missing something. You have to dig deeper. We don't beat people up into full assurance. Rather, loving connections with people provide a state, uh, a, a safe environment, I should say, for us to express our lack of full assurance. I need a place where I can go and say, I'm not sure about this, and they're not going to beat me up for saying that. We need a safe environment in order to air our doubts and to express our misunderstandings. That's part of growth. And still, growing into full assurance is necessary if you are to have a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ himself. Listen, it's hard to be intimate with someone you don't fully trust. It's hard to maintain a prayer life with a God that you don't really believe will take any action on your behalf. And it's hard to step out in faith when you don't have an assurance that Jesus 
will take care of you. And those who lack the intimacy of full assurance are those who are the easiest prey for the world, the devil, and the flesh, your three enemies. Those are the ones who are most open to the, hey, Christ plus. The Christ plus formula is being introduced by the false teachers. And this is one of the reasons we lose people out the back door of our churches. We sit here and everything's fine, but they haven't expressed their doubts and somebody at work or somewhere else gets a hold of them and says, have you tried this? Are you doing this? You need more. You need Christ plus. But for us, it's Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. And as you form intimacy with Christ, you find that Christ is more than enough. Look at verse 3. Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ we find the answer to why a little girl has to suffer through chemotherapy. Christ has the answer. In Christ, we find the answer to why a young daddy, a young warrior, comes down with brain cancer. Christ has the answer to that. You see, it's events like these which drive you into a connection with Christ, which may otherwise never happen. Behold the kindness and even the severity of God in his kindness. God knows what it takes. In Christ alone, we learn the answer to why am I here and what's my purpose and what am I supposed to do? It's in Christ. Earlier we said that we stay dead by immersion in the living Jesus Christ. Hit my overhead for me, would you? A principle here. If you take away one thing, one thing today, this is it. There is nothing greater. There is nothing smarter. There is nothing better than Christ. There's nothing else out there, folks. And many of you have tried and looked and sought. At the very end of the game, the very end of the trail, that's all you have is Christ, and he's enough. He's enough. So who is this for today? Who does this resonate with? I need it. We need to know this because there are many voices out there, voices who are trying to trick you into a belief system that promises something greater than just Christ alone, more satisfying than Jesus, but that will actually, in fact, dull your relationship with Christ. You know, biblical principles, we, we put principles up there. Biblical principles are usually pithy and easy to remember. Uh, they're truths that are supposed to anchor us. Uh, they're like a boat that's tied to a cleat so it doesn't drift away down the stream. And principles are presented for a purpose. And in this case, the purpose that we have these principles is so that no one may trick you. That's why Paul tells us this, so that no one may trick you. And that's Paul's concern in verse 4. I say this, so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. The end game of persuasive arguments, which delude or, or deceive is a better word probably, always lead to our hearts becoming discouraged, back in verse 2, and our separation from one another because of pride or self-seeking or doubt or misunderstanding or confusion. That's what those clever arguments do. They don't take anywhere good. They promise a lot, but it's not there. 
And this is not to say that we shouldn't have healthy discussion and and critical review as part of conforming our minds to truth. I think we should have discussion and, uh, I don't want to say debate, but truth is never established by means of debate or popular vote, persuasive arguments. That's not how we establish truth. Obviously, people had entered Colossae and had caused uh, delusion by means of persuasive argument. That's what Paul's talking about. Something was going on. And those who told the Colossians to find wisdom and knowledge apart from the simplicity of Jesus, they were very persuasive. Their arguments seemed to make sense. You're missing it. You need something more. The lure of hidden and deep wisdom and knowledge can be very strong and very deceptive. And we're all very gullible. We are all gullible. And it might sound simple, but deceivers are deceivers. We're not going to come out and tell you this is false teaching or false doctrine. In fact, every false doctrine out there that I've encountered that's attractive sounds very close to the truth. It seems like back in the garden, did God really say? Very close to the truth. And verse, um, excuse me, now all that said, the report received by Paul indicated that the Colossian church had stood strong against deceivers. You know, this letter was written to people who were doing pretty good. And he's saying, let's step it up a notch. So verse 5, he says, For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. When you are intimately involved in the lives of others, nothing blesses your socks off more than to see that they are growing in their faith, that they are standing firm in their faith, that they're doing all this without you. You're not their daddy. Something's going on, and it's really not your, a result of you. It just blesses your socks off. Now, Gunnar's going to expand on that next week and tell us a how-to as you read ahead. But for now, a couple of applications for you. Something to chew on this week. Where are you tempted to drift into some new and better teaching. Who's presenting something to you that sounds kind of intriguing? Something a little more appealing in Christ alone? We started this series by saying that your Christianity frequently doesn't work for you. But Christ does. It's not about religion. So who's selling you something? What, what, what ideas out there? What are you reading that's kind of distracting you? I hope it's not horoscopes. Where in your life are you prone to doubt the certainty of God's love, provision, and care? And as to uh, intimacy with other believers, are you living two lives? Seeking intimacy in unhealthy relationships while also rubbing shoulders with your church family? It won't work. You can't have genuine intimacy in two opposing arenas. It just doesn't work. Probably the hardest one is, will you commit yourself to forming connections with people here as a step towards death to flesh, as a step to keeping yourself dead? Will you form those relationships? You know, you have to look at the purpose of church. Church is not 
an evangelistic tool. I mean, I, I will give the gospel when it's in the text, but it's not primarily evangelistic. It's, it's, we worship here, but that's not the primary purpose. The purpose is to train up the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so this morning, we're going to facilitate a chance to let you connect. As stated earlier, we thought it appropriate to facilitate some connection time by means of donuts. It's not a cop thing. Okay, we're in the bagels now. I'm a kosher cop. <laughs> so after the worship team closes us, please do go out, uh, grab a donut while being forming connections with some of your church family, and I think it'll bless your socks off. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, very rich section of Scripture. I'm especially concerned about verse 2 that really requires almost memorization to chew on each of those things. And I trust that you'll facilitate that in these uh, folks this week and in myself. Lord, um, we laugh a little bit, but this issue of death to self is, is huge. And it's actually absolutely imperative. If we're going to have intimacy with you, we need to have something less than intimacy with ourselves. Death to selves. Help us to form intimacy then with others so that we might really experience Christ in you, the true hope of glory. And we trust you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.